Some of the most common complications associated with ulcerative colitis are toxic megacolon, bleeding, fulminant colitis, and perforation of the bowel. While abscesses, intestinal bleeding, fistulas, among others, are associated with Crohn's disease. While the development of emergency complications in IBD are very uncommon, it can be life-threatening and resulted in permanent organ damage. When all medical treatments fail to control symptoms, surgical intervention is often the last option. You're listening to CCFA Perspectives, Crohn's and Colitis Updates on ReachMD. And I'm Laura Wingate, Vice President of Education, Support, and Advocacy at the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America. Joining me today to discuss IBD emergencies is gastroenterologist Dr. Kim Isaacs, Professor of Medicine and Co-Director of UNC Multidisciplinary Center for IBD Research and Treatment at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Dr. Isaacs, welcome to ReachMD. Thank you. I am glad to join you today. Thank you for being here. So my first question on IBD emergencies is how do you treat GI bleeding from a Crohn's ulcer if significant? As you probably know, bleeding from Crohn's disease is a fairly rare complication. The In most of the studies we see, the incidence is probably less than maybe 1% to 1%. And one of the main problems with bleeding from Crohn's disease is trying to figure out where the bleeding is coming from. If the Crohn's disease is diffuse, there's ulceration all over the place, picking the exact ulcer that's bleeding is somewhat difficult. And in most cases, the exact site really can't be identified. Now, what we think of when we think about Crohn's disease ulcers is we think about a large ulcer eroding into a vessel. So the first thing that you want to try to do is you want to try to identify the site, and we usually do this endoscopically. If you can actually find the ulcer that's bleeding, you see active bleeding from a blood vessel, then endoscopic therapy is probably our first step, either clipping the ulcer, clipping the vessel, putting heat on the vessel. And again, that's probably going to be less likely that we're actually going to find the the culprit um, bleeding vessel. So then we need to go on into other types of things. We want to make sure that the we're correcting any coagulation defects. Some of our patients actually have fairly poor nutrition. They may have vitamin K deficiency and different problems with coagulation will lead to worse bleeding. There's actually one very, very tiny study that gives factor 7A in managing GI hemorrhage secondary to Crohn's disease. That, and this was in a patient without even having a deficiency in factor 7. But the key thing here is you want to correct any coagulation defects. The next thing that you want to do is you want to treat the inflammation. Now, granted, Treating the inflammation will help with low-grade bleeding, but if you have a patient that's really acutely bleeding, bleeding massively, the treating the inflammation is not going to work fast enough to take care of the, of the difficulty of bleeding. But certainly, if you have very active Crohn's disease, you want to treat the inflammation, that may help with more low-grade bleeding. 
And then two other possibilities. You know, we've talked about endoscopic treatment. When we think about bleeding ulcers in the stomach, we'll sometimes use vascular or interventional radiology to embolize a vessel. The problem that occurs in the intestine with Crohn's disease is that if you embolize a vessel to the small intestine or to the colon, you may end up with a big-time problem with ischemia, low blood flow to that area of the bowel and actually getting bowel infarction. It is possible to super-selectively embolize an area. You may be able to treat a very tiny vessel without putting the remainder of the bowel at risk. The In patients with portal hypertension, which would not be a common combination with Crohn's disease, octreotide has been used intravenously. It reduces portal and variceal pressure, but it also reduces pressure in the splanchnic circulation, which is important in bleeding in the small intestine. And that could be used in an emergent situation to try to decrease some of the pressure that may be contributing to vascular bleeding in patients with Crohn's disease. Not commonly used, but but something to think about. And as you mentioned in the introduction, surgical therapy is sometimes a last resort. And in this particular case, if you had a patient that had very extensive bleeding, was dropping their blood pressure, was very hemodynamically unstable, and the endoscopic therapy and the medical therapies really aren't working, surgical therapy, if one can isolate the site of the bleed, would be important as well. My next question is, in patients with refract colitis, would the presence of a C. difficile infection delay colectomy? And again... <laughs> I hate to beat around the bush, but it really depends. It should not delay colectomy if you have a patient that has fulminant ulcerative colitis and really needs needs colectomy. So that would be the hospitalized patient who may be developing a toxic megacolon, who looks very ill, who's not responding to therapy. That patient needs a colectomy whether they have C. diff or not. We think about C. difficile infection in patients with ulcerative colitis as, in a way, a signal of the severity of the colitis. In some cases, the C. diff may not be driving the process but is present and has not been eradicated by the patient because the colitis is so severe. So in patients with IBD, we're actually seeing a marked increase in the incidence of C. diff. If you look at hospitalized patients with C. diff, it's the incidence or prevalence has actually doubled over the past decade. We need to treat the C. diff when we're treating the ulcerative colitis. And in certain patients, we're going to be able to turn around their disease without the need for colectomy, and actually short-term colectomy rates in cases of patients with C. difficile infection, the data is really variable. It's not clear-cut, but if you look at long-term colectomy rates, patients who also have been infected with C. diff have a higher long-term colectomy rate. They have worse 
disease in the hospital. There's an increased post-operative infection rate. So having C. diff along with the ulcerative colitis really is not a good thing, but it's probably more a marker of the severity of the colitis. And if a colectomy is indicated for the colitis, one shouldn't wait too long and be trying to treat the C. diff thinking that if one treats the C. diff that the outcome is going to be tremendously different. If you were just tuning in, you're listening to CCFA Perspectives, Crohn's and Colitis Updates on ReachMD. I'm Laura Wingate, and I'm speaking to Dr. Kim Isaacs, Professor of Medicine and Co-Director of UNC Multidisciplinary Center for IBD Research and Treatment at University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Dr. Isaacs, my last question is, when do you tell a patient to go to an emergency room as opposed to a doctor's visit when dealing with IBD issues? You know, that's a really great question because in most cases, I would really rather not have my patient go to the emergency room. And the difficulty occurs, and I think that most people can understand this, is that if you have a very busy clinic going on, it's very easy to tell a patient, just go to the emergency room. But really, for many problems, going to the emergency room just really prolongs the evaluation and management. The emergency room physicians really don't know the patient as well, and it may be a very simple thing, simple adjustment in medications to deal with some of the diarrheal issues. However, there are some issues that a patient absolutely does need to go to the emergency room for. These are issues where the patient really needs to be treated more rapidly. Examples of that would be very severe abdominal pain. Complications of IBD may include a perforation. It may include an intra-abdominal abscess. And those patients really need to be dealt with more emergently. Having them wait a day or even a half a day to come into clinic is not appropriate. They need to be seen quickly. They need x-rays that can be obtained in the emergency room more quickly. They need to be on IV fluids, IV antibiotics. And so severe abdominal pain would be one of the main reasons that I would have a patient go to the emergency room. The other types of issues would be things like hydration. In general, if I have a patient that I can work with over the phone and have them orally rehydrate, that patient I'm going to be able to get into clinic and maybe give them IV fluids in clinic. But if they cannot orally hydrate, if there's a lot of nausea and vomiting, nothing is staying down, that patient I really worry about getting more and more hypotensive. I've had patients end up with um, renal insufficiency or even hydration or dehydration-induced renal failure, and that is the kind of assessment that I'm going to try to make on the phone or that our nurse is going to try to make on the phone and see whether they are able to manage until that they can get in the clinic. Now, one of the things that we think about is that we have a series of questions that we try to ask the patient to assess 
them and see whether they need the services of hydration, of IV antibiotics, of x-ray types of things that we can't rapidly do in the clinic. And those are the patients that we're going to direct to the emergency room. If it is a typical flare with increased diarrhea, we have urgent add-on slots where we'll get them into clinic that day or within a 24-hour period trying to keep them from having to go to the emergency room. Many thanks to our guest, Dr. Kim Isaacs, for joining us today to talk about IBD emergencies. It was great having you with us. Thank you very much. It was great talking with you today, Laura. Likewise. I'm your host, Laura Wingate. To access this episode and others in this series and to download the ReachMD app, visit ReachMD.com. We encourage you to leave comments and share this program with your colleagues. Thank you for listening.